Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We're going to be talking about Mother's Day, believe it or not. And some people think I should apologize for doing that. That's because some people don't think, they think that uh, Mother's Day is a made-up Hallmark Cards holiday. And uh, there's actually some liturgical purists. These are the people who look through all of the biblical history we have and say, why should we recognize Mother's Day in church at all? It's such a secular holiday. There's no place for it in the traditional liturgical church calendar. All right. I'd like to be sort of an apologist that is a defender for Mother's Day today. And Mother's Day became an official USA national holiday in 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson signed a decree that the second Sunday of May will be a day, quote, for a public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country, unquote. So it's codified by the president of the United States. Further, we have been commanded in our fifth commandment from Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So let's try to stay biblical here today. No, no. You can sit down. You can stay seated. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, that was very uh, dishonoring of me. <laughs> so the question is, how does the Bible honor Mom, does the Bible actually honor moms? Or more importantly, doesn't the Bible actually downplay and even minimize the role of women? Or stated in much harsher terms that I've heard, is not the God of the Bible a sexist misogynist? Is he not? Some critics say that. Well, I think the answer to those detractors and those opponents of celebrating Mother's Day in the church by what we have to say today. There's a book we've been studying in our Monday study group called God Behaving Badly. Is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist, and racist? Written by David Lamb. And Lamb assures us that all the claims about God's bad attitude towards women has everything to do with a skewed view of the scriptures. Your view gets skewed by interpreting and applying the scriptures written 3,500 years ago and translated from an ancient language into English and then misreading them through the lens of today's culture. Trust me, you do that, you're going to get it wrong. You understand that? So let me make this assertion. God does not have a prejudice against women, nor is he against mothers. But in fact, God is the source of mothering. Let me say that. God is the source of mothering. In addition to the main text scripts we're going to get to in a little while from scripture, let me just cite a couple of others from the Old Testament about God's motherly attributes. In reference to those who love Jerusalem in Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations will be like an overflowing stream and you shall nurse and you will be carried away upon her hip 
bounced upon her knees. Very motherly picture there. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Then in Isaiah 49, but, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. All of it a metaphor using mothers as an example. Well, let me just state there's even something very motherly about one of God's names. His name, El Shaddai. We sing about that and in the Hebrew, you need to know that the literal meaning of that word, El Shaddai, means the mighty breast. Really? Absolutely. The exact translation of this name for God has been a challenge for Western translators of Hebrew into English because the idea of God being characterized as having breasts does not sit well in our Western culture. But to the Middle Eastern agrarian folks who care for many nursing animals, the idea of God as the only source of life-giving nourishment is comforting and it's appealing. So this is my main point. If the Lord revealed his name in the book of Genesis six times using this feminine Hebrew word, which is full of the image of motherhood, we can be assured that our creator God values motherhood. I'm going to let a mother talk about our first point today. Did we break it? Try it now. Did we break it? Oh, good. Good morning. Our first important principle on this Mother's Day is mothering is a powerful relationship for influencing faith. There is no questioning the power and influence of mothers. I come from a long line of strong women, especially on the Italian side. My great-grandmother Althea was a strong woman who was financially savvy at a time when it wasn't considered entirely proper for women. The family story is told that her recommendation that my great-grandfather purchase real estate preserved the family savings from being lost when the banks failed after the stock market crash in 1929. Nanny, as we called her, hosted family gatherings centered around big Italian meals, including, of course, homemade pasta, and courses that went throughout the day, feeding everyone until they couldn't even think about food anymore. And then at the end of the day, out would come the trays of cold cuts and the pizzelles, and it was hard to refuse because Nanny got what she wanted. <laughs> Maybe you have some mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers like that. It's hard to say no. They have that strong pull and influence on us. Nanny outlived two husbands, both her sons and her eldest grandson. She lived in her own home and served as landlady to the rest of her building until she was 101. She finally died at the age of 103. She liked things her way, and thanks to her wise financial decisions, 
she was able to sow into the lives of her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren. My daughter is named for her, and they had the opportunity to meet just a year and a half before her death, which is when this photo was taken. Unfortunately, she was also so frugal that she refused hearing aids at age 75, insisting that she wouldn't be alive much longer and it would be a waste of money. So we spent the later years of her life having very simple but loud conversations. <laughs> Families are complicated. While my memories of Nanny are exclusively positive, her relationship with her own daughters-in-law was strained and fraught with conflict. That's one of the reasons why my grandmother isn't in this picture. Nanny's desire to continue to influence her sons well into their adulthood was beyond what their wives were comfortable with. Now, if mothering hands down so many values, practices, and traditions, how much greater is the potential to hand down faith? Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.5. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1.5. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, we see here in Paul's letter that Timothy came from a multi-generational household of believers, specifically female believers. My mother is the first generation of believers in her family. My maternal grandmother and I talked about art, literature, very occasionally politics and religion, but I didn't have the benefit of the guidance of a grandparent who walked closely with Jesus. I can't begin to describe how grateful I am that my children have the spiritual influence of my mother in their lives. It is important for children to see generational faith in action. Even if your own family of origin doesn't have good examples of this, embrace the wider family of God. NC4 is a multi-generational church. Our kids have the benefit of seeing God at work in people of all ages and stages. You don't have to have believing parents and grandparents to benefit from the wisdom of mature believers. In the church I was born into, back then called McCungie Baptist Church, we had many such people in our lives. Since both sets of grandparents lived at a distance and didn't have strong faith of their own, my early life was surrounded with spiritual grandparents who mothered and fathered my parents and were many of my earliest Sunday school teachers and nursery workers. Now, while most of them have gone on to glory, I treasure those early memories and their faithfulness to be active and engaged in the body of Christ. Whenever I dig into the various letters of Paul, I wonder so much about what he left unspoken. I wonder what kind of women Lois and Eunice were, and I wish we had more than a few brief references to give us a wider picture of them as women and as mothers. But what I theorize with some confidence is that their prayers were influential in the life of Timothy. For I believe that mothering prayer has power. I'm going to say that again. Mothering prayer has power. My husband has often said that his grandmother prayed him into the kingdom and that her prayers 
helped keep him alive during his deep depression his first semester of college. Now, while my children may not have the same relationship with their great-grandmother because of distance and limitations of age, I know that her prayers have power, perhaps as much as my own. She hears God and prays for us out of more years than I have been alive. I recognize the supernatural power of that, even if her practical day-to-day influence may be less. Now, I'm sure there's some women in this room who don't have the kind of relationship with your children and loved ones that you wish you did. But I want you to be encouraged. As biological and spiritual mothers, our prayers have power and authority in the lives of those we love. Even if our mothering is done at a physical or emotional distance, those prayers make an impact. Thanks, Bethany. So why does Paul connect Timothy's faith to the mothering influences in his life? Why the mothering influences? What about Timothy's dad, his granddad? What about them? Well, we learn a little more about Timothy's family situation if you read the book of Acts chapter 16. And um, reading from the first verse in that chapter, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. And some of your Bibles will say Gentile. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him, ouch, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek or a Gentile. The point is this, it's likely that the primary figure in Tim's childhood who influenced his faith was his mother. And as we learn in Paul's letter to Timothy, Tim also had a faith-filled grandma, which is all part of who's been mentioned here. Pretty much assured by most theologians that his father, as a Greek or a Gentile, means he was an unbeliever. So our next text that we're going to look at comes a little bit later in the same letter of Paul to Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 3, going to verse 14, it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So from this very short passage, I'd like to propose my next principle, which is this. Mothers influence faith through the knowledge of scriptures. Well, let's dig a little bit more into this passage. Why do I say that? And this is one of these cases where the English language fails us. And you have to understand something from the Greek to understand what's going on here. The term from whom you learned it is actually plural in the Greek. In other words, if you look at your Bible footnotes in some of your Bibles, it'll say it's plural. That means the multiple those from whom you learned is clearly referring to Lois 
and Eunice, which he mentioned in the beginning, his grandma and his mom. In addition to having the same sincere, which means genuine, not fake, faith that they passed on to Timothy, they used the sacred writings, which in this context was the Hebrew scriptures. They used that to prepare Timothy for the wisdom and knowledge that leads to salvation. Tim learned and believed. That means he manifested faith even as a child. And some of your translations say, from infancy, he manifested faith. So I believe in the power of moms to influence their infants and their children towards faith in Jesus by reading the Bible to them, by exposing them to the scriptures. In the last 40 years, maybe 50 years, Bibles and Bible stories for children have become readily available and they're published in a great variety. These children's Bibles are now published in graphic novel format. It looks like it's just a comic book, but it's actually communicating through pictures and the words in the bubbles, the word of God. It's amazing. Compare this to a few generations before that when children's Bible teachers only had the King James Version to teach to our little ones. We've come a long way, baby, in this area. We really have. There are Bible songs. There's a Bible in song that's available on CDs. Songs composed for children to memorize pieces of scripture or to teach them about the scriptures. I like the Bible. I like the Bible. I read it and I do it. I read it and I do it. That was a song in our house that we would sing. And we had a lot of fun with that still today. Yes. But more importantly than this, this is putting eternal truths into the minds of babes. It's making child disciples of Jesus. Hey, that's our mission here, isn't it? to know Jesus and to make him known, including our kids. And perhaps mothers have the greatest opportunity to fulfill that mission. There's a proverb, actually comes from a poem that goes like this. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Well, based on these writings from Paul to Timothy, this phrase should be restated as the hand that rocks the cradle helps to win the world to Christ. Think about it. That's a lot of power in the hands of moms. Mothers ultimately have the greatest power in the world because they influence the way children develop spiritually and they influence the godly things that they do when they grow up. How many people have testified that they are where they are because of a faithful mother. Then for my next scripture reading, which is our last one today, it's all very brief today, and you're all very grateful for that, aren't you? Romans 16, which is filled with Paul's end greetings that he's giving to his letter to the Roman church. But he lists a great cast of people. And he says this in verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, and listen to this, who has been a mother to me as well. Wow, really? 
Well, let me help you with this. Rufus is really a pretty uncommon Bible name. It actually means red or red-haired, okay, is what Rufus means. But more importantly, because it's so uncommon in the Bible, we know there's another person, only one other place in the Bible named Rufus. And so we have these, we don't believe this Rufus actually was Paul's brother. In other words, this wasn't really his mother. Some people say that it's true, but most theologians don't agree with that. A couple reasons for that. The other Rufus, who is the Rufus of Mark 15, where Mark identifies Simon the Cyrene and adds this little note in there. Why did Mark do this? Who was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Well, Simon Cyrene, he helped to bear the cross for Jesus. You guys know who he was, right? Paul himself was from Tarsus, which is in Asia Minor, right? But Simon and these boys were from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. So they're likely not the same Rufus. Therefore, Paul is using this greeting to Rufus to extend a greeting to this particular mother, not his own mother. Evidently, Paul had a close and loving relationship with her that he equated to mothering. That's how close the relationship he had. So this gold nugget that we discover in the scriptures here brings me to this last point. All women can exercise a motherly influence. All women can exercise that mothering that Paul describes there. And just as a sidebar, if you guys ever do a study of all the names in the end of his greetings on Romans 16, it is shocking how many of them are women that Paul was writing greetings to at the church in Rome. Can you imagine the resume of this lady whose name we don't even know, who could have said something like this, I mothered the apostle Paul into the man of God that he is today. Maybe she could. Mama Rufus, I'll call her. She mothered Paul and he wasn't even her natural son. The implications here are profound for every woman of God, whether you are able to mother children or unable to mother children because of a life circumstance maybe physical limitations. Maybe you no longer have children living near you or a situation prevents you from mothering, though you may yearn to do so. The good news on this Mother's Day or Mothering Day, as they say in the United Kingdom, is that God is still calling women to mother someone, to nurture, to encourage weak ones, to soothe hurting souls, to be a source of comfort and stability, to bear and raise spiritual children. How about that? I know some women here who've never stopped mothering. Long over after their own kids have grown up and moved out, this is powerful, a ministry to have. And this is also a charge to grandmothering, a task that we know here from the Bible as what Lois does. Grandmothering is an important and much needed ministry. I recently read the remarks on Joy Martin's obituary. Who does that, right? Well, when I read obituaries that are online, you'd see remarks people make about them because it gets recorded on the site. It's just wonderful to read through them. Well, I noted the number of people who commented that Joy Martin 
spiritually mothered them. Isn't that interesting? To leave a legacy like that is saying joy mothered me in the Lord. Fantastic. So to our women evangelists here, your calling is to raise up children through the new birth, to guide spiritual children to be born again. Happy Mother's Day to you too. May the Lord grant you many, many children. So here, let me just make this really clear. I do believe that God in his motherly attributes is calling to us. And he would, if he could, be a comfort to every one of us as a mother. Jesus said this as he came into Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Jesus is calling for you to let him mother you, that God might mother you. That's a call today. I pray you would receive that. So let's pray. I'm going to ask right now if we'd all bow our heads, close our eyes. And I would like you to know if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is calling you today. He wants to mother you. So if you'd pray this prayer with me today, everyone present in the room here, if you'd recite as well, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. I have resisted your call to come under your wing. Please forgive me. And I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you for trying to mother me and not giving up on me. And I want you to be with me. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.